love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Mayhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem podcast here on this Thursday, February the 16th of 2023. As you heard in our fantastic open, my name is Alex Reamer. You can find the show wherever you can find your favorite podcasts. We are available on all the platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. You know the drill by now. Download, listen, rate, and subscribe. This is the first week since the end of July. We have no football to look forward to on the weekend. How sad. Now I'll have to do things like what? Go outside, see our friends. (laughs) Who wants to do that? (laughs) But really, uh, always avoid. In the sports calendar, that's for sure. But as much of a void as you may be feeling, keep in mind, it's nothing in comparison to what network TV execs are probably feeling. Super Bowl 57, Chiefs-Eagles, 113 million people watched, making it the second most viewed Super Bowl of all time, just behind Super Bowl 46, Patriots and Seahawks, which garnered nearly 115 million viewers. A lot of people have been doing their Super Bowl rankings this week. I put Chiefs-Eagles probably in the top five that I've seen in my life, but nothing will top Super Bowl 46 Patriots-Seahawks. That was the best football game from start to finish that I've ever seen. Uh, I even put Patriots-Seahawks ahead of Patriots-Falcons. That was a historic and all-time great comeback. But Patriots-Seahawks was an all-time great game. So they're number one. Pats-Falcons, number two. And I'd have to think about it. I mean, this was a great Super Bowl. Mahomes and Hurts played great. It was a Super Bowl for high-flying offense. But, and maybe it's just me just hearkening back to a day of the NFL that doesn't exist anymore. Nobody could really stop anybody outside of the Chiefs scooping up a fumble, scoring a defensive touchdown. I guess that's really what defense is in the NFL these days, but I don't know. And then it ended in that weak holding call. I don't like the call. You don't call a single holding penalty for 58 minutes. Then you call it there, a ticky-tack foul in the biggest spot of the season, basically handing the Chiefs the Super Bowl. So I don't know. It's somewhere in the top five for me, but it does not usurp Patriots-Seahawks. But the viewership came awfully close. 113 million people watched. Second most viewed Super Bowl of all time. And I spent some time on the show last week talking about whether the Super Bowl is losing cultural uh, relevance. I think this Sunday shows that that is not the case, at least not yet. I still think we are going to get there because the numbers I cited last week with Gen Z and their lack of sports fandom is pretty jarring, and it's quite a contrast to the way older generations feel about sports. But the good news for the NFL and the good news for these TV networks is that the spending power does not reside with Gen Z and will not reside with Gen Z for several more decades. I mean, I'm a millennial. I'm only 30 years old. So, you know, I got a good 25, 30 more years of spending power with me. Now I just got to make some money. (laughs) And then we will really be rolling Uh, But yes, um, I think the Super Bowl, still our last monolithic cultural event. You see that with all the celebrities in the commercials from Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez starring in a Dunkin' Donuts ad. Really? I mean, the money for this stuff is insane. And it just shows you 
how relevant it all is that someone like J-Lo was willing to say, yeah, I'm going to star in a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Um, Rihanna's halftime performance was a talk of the country on Monday. And please, if you are a sports writer over the age of 55, I'm sorry, but the Rihanna halftime show just isn't for you. Okay, just admit it. It's okay. It's not for you. I don't want to hear your review of it. It'd be like me reviewing Barney's, uh, Barney, you know, or Disney on Ice. It'd be like me going to a Disney on Ice show and reviewing it and saying, oh my God, it sucked. How childish. Well, it's supposed to be childish. It's for children. <laughs> Just like Rihanna at the Super Bowl, a pregnant Rihanna at the Super Bowl, uh, is not for you, 63-year-old sports writer or 63-year-old sports talk radio host with all the love in my heart. It just isn't. It's not for you. So stop talking about it. Um, but if you want any further idea about just how much of a monster the NFL is and sports are in general when it comes to TV, from Labor Day weekend through Super Bowl Sunday, 91% of all Fox viewing was viewing of sports. 58% of that viewing was viewing for the NFL. So Fox at this stage, the Fox Broadcast Network, basically just exists to carry live sports. And in particular, carry the NFL. And I guarantee you, in years in which the CBS, a CBS has the Super Bowl, years in which NBC has the Super Bowl, those numbers are probably similar. Unbelievable. 91% of all Fox viewing from Labor Day through Super Bowl Sunday has been through sports. And yeah, that does say something about the lack of enticing primetime options that are offered on Fox outside of sports, certainly. But more than anything, it really just speaks to the climate in which we, le in which we live. Linear TV is really just sports at this point. 82 of the top 100 shows last year were NFL games. You add in college football games, some other sporting events, the Olympics that cracked the top 100. We're really talking about 90-some-odd of the 100 top watch shows uh, last year were sporting events. So the money for not just the NFL, but the NBA, Major League Baseball, any other league out there, any other sport out there, it's going to continue to increase for the foreseeable future when you see numbers like that. So the NFL's cultural dominance, in case anybody had any doubts, and I maybe raised some last week, but uh, yeah, I think these numbers from the Super Bowl show that those doubts are really for naught, at least for a long time. Some final thoughts on Greg Olson in the Fox booth and the Tom Brady situation and how that will all factor in. I thought Olson was excellent on Sunday. He didn't take over the game at all. Instead, he analyzed the game and helped me further understand the game. So that's definitely what you want. Um, I wrote about this on weei.com on Monday. I give Greg Olson a ton of credit for being willing to criticize the bad holding call at the end of the game right there in real time. He did in hem and haw. He said he didn't think it was the right call. He would have let them play in that spot. And I don't think it's so easy for an NFL analyst calling the Super Bowl to say that the call that wound up deciding the Super Bowl was the wrong call. We know about how sensitive the NFL is when it comes to their officiating. Roger Goodell said at his usual pre-Super Bowl press conference 
that he thinks the officiating has never been better. I mean, what a joke that is, right? But it tells you right there that Roger Goodell comment, how sensitive the NFL is about their officiating. And there was Greg Olson, the number one guy for Fox, game deciding holding call. And he said it right there. It was a bad call. I don't think, I mean, Chris Collinsworth, I think is an excellent analyst. Um, but last year's Super Bowl, the phantom, hold, the phantom holding call in the Bengals that gave the Rams a fresh set of down in the goal line. Collinsworth was silent during that. He didn't criticize the officiating at all. Greg Olson did, and that's rare, and it should be celebrated. And he was on top of the action from the get-go, explaining these crazy, beautiful jet sweeps that Andy Reid was calling, um, saying early that the Eagles, you can tell when they're treating it as four-down territory, when they run on third down, even at the very end of the game after that horrible holding call. And yes, it was a bad call. I don't like seeing games ended like that. Um, When Jarek McKinnon got the ball and looked like he was going to score, Olsen was screaming in the booth for him to get down, get down. That is game awareness because Greg Olsen realized that if Jarek McKinnon went to the ground, the Chiefs could have just run it down, kicked the field goal with seconds to spare. Whereas if he did reach the end zone, the Eagles would have had more time to score. So Greg Olson opinionated on top of the action, nothing not to like, and it puts more pressure on Tom Brady. And maybe Brady is right to not debut until 2024 because that would be a really hard act to follow. Um, And, you know, just to go back to this debate we've been having for months on end, you know, will Tom Brady ever actually call an NFL game for Fox? What happened on Super Bowl Sunday makes me lean no. It makes me lean no, because not only was Greg Olson awesome and is now really won over the hearts of football fans across the country, but Tom Brady, for $375 million, wasn't part of Fox's Super Bowl coverage at all. I mean, Derek Jeter was part of it more than Tom Brady. Jeter was introduced as Fox's next Major League Baseball analyst. Oh, yeah, he'll be great. I mean, who do you think has more natural personality, Tom Brady or Derek Jeter? I mean, my goodness. But yeah, Jeter was even more a part of Fox's Super Bowl coverage than Brady He wasn't on it for one second. There wasn't a sit-down interview. There wasn't a little silly thing with Gronk even. There was nothing from Tom Brady. Not even a three-minute pre-packaged segment. Tom Brady breaking down Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. I mean, wouldn't that be the prime spot to use Brady? Like, okay, he doesn't want to go to Phoenix Live. He's not going to be in the booth. But can you shoot us like a five-minute package? breaking down the quarterback play. Don't you want to hear Tom Brady on the quarterbacks in this game? Nothing from Brady at all. I mean, we'll see. It's 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 worth mentioning again that as great as Tom Brady was on the field and he's the greatest of all time, you look at his off-field endeavors from TB12 Fitness to the Brady brand clothing line, 199 Productions, Tom vs. Time, the Facebook series, the last man in the arena, docu-series last year, 10-part series. His off-field activities and off-field business endeavors have been flops to an extent, I would say. And 
This broadcasting career is not off to the best start. He wasn't even part of Fox's Super Bowl coverage at all. Uh, there's been a lot made this week that when Brady does go into the Fox booth, Greg Olson's salary will decrease by $7 million. He earns $10 million annually as Fox's number one analyst. That figure would go down to $3 million annually as Fox's number two NFL analyst. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I think I said this in the past on the show. I'm not really crying for Greg Olson. $3 million is still more than livable on top of whatever endorsement opportunities he may get out of this. And I still think that you want to know the real T here. The real future of Greg Olson is this. If Tom Brady does come in 2024 and he does take over as Fox's number one NFL analyst, Greg Olson will not be the number two guy at Fox for long. He will move on probably to NBC. Chris Collinsworth is in his 60s now. He's not going to last forever. So mark it here. You heard it right here on the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. If and when Tom Brady takes over that number one job at Fox in 2024, Greg Olson will not be at the network for long. He'll move on to NBC and be the heir apparent for Chris Collinsworth on Sunday Night Football. He'll be fine. He's in his 30s. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, anyway, speaking of Fox, was there anything more nauseating than seeing Elon Musk and Rupert Murdoch? I mean, isn't it great that we have a real independent maverick running Twitter now? You know, someone who's totally, you know, sits with Rupert Murdoch at the Super Bowl, Jared Kushner in the Saudis at the World Cup final. Uh, we learned this week taking phone calls with Senator Ted Cruz. Yeah, it's great to have just a nice independent freewheeling maverick with no political agenda at all in charge of Twitter. Is it not? Oh man. Um, there was one piece of Fox's Super Bowl coverage that I didn't like, and that was their post-game festivities. And it's not so much that what was said was so offensive, but it really just speaks to the fact that the NFL is, as we discussed, the most powerful and ubiquitous cultural institution in the U.S., but at its core, it's still an old boys club. You look at the post-game festivities for Super Bowl 57, two of the league's most synonymous hype men, Terry Bradshaw and Chris Berman, Bradshaw for Fox, Berman for ESPN. They both made some cringeworthy comments during the Chiefs' celebration. After the Lombardi Trophy was presented, the Chiefs owner Clark Hunt the multi-billionaire owner who didn't play a single snap always received the, tr- the trophy first, by the way. I mean, that's very important. Uh, Terry Bradshaw called Andy Reid over to the microphone. And in the process, Bradshaw made an array of juvenile fat jokes about Reid's weight. Bradshaw said, quote, let me get the big guy in here. Come on, waddle over here. Later, Bradshaw told Reid, have a cheeseburger on us. And look, you know, in the grand scheme, Terry Bradshaw, quote unquote, fat shaming Andy Reid. I don't even like that phrase. Terry Bradshaw, you know, making fun of Andy Reid's weight in the grand scheme. That's not a huge deal. I mean, he probably enjoys a longstanding relationship with Reid and obviously felt comfortable enough to rib him on the grand stage. But that's part of the problem in a way. I mean, the Super Bowl, as we discussed, is the biggest event in TV by far. Fox pays the NFL more than $2 billion annually to broadcast its games. And yet, 
during the trophy presentation, Terry Bradshaw was making schoolyard quips about a Hall of Fame coach's weight. There are a hundred, if not thousands, of sports anchors who would have handled the moment a bit more appropriately, a bit more professionally. But Terry Bradshaw is part of the club. And once you're part of the club, you're untouched. And the same can be said for Chris Berman. He now works special events for ESPN, such as the Super Bowl postgame show. The reverence and respect for Berman, Boomer, across the NFL is clear. Last summer, we all remember, Bill Belichick cooed when Berman made a surprise appearance at one of his press conferences. Boomer, we are graced, Belichick boomed. But I'm sorry, in 2023, it's apparent that Berman's stick is grossly outdated. Before leading into the game's highlight package, Berman remarked that Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurst were two African-American quarterbacks starting against each other in the Super Bowl for the first time. And then Berman invoked Abraham Lincoln. Yep, Berman said, quote, fittingly, February 12th is Abe Lincoln's birthday. Now here are the highlights. Talk about a rough reference. I mean, Berman could have said it was Black History Month. Or better yet, how about mention the scores of successful Black quarterbacks who came before Hertz and Mahomes. Donovan McNabb, Randall Cunningham, Michael Vick, Warren Moon, more recently, Russell Wilson. I mean, go on down the line. There are scores of successful Black quarterbacks who paved the way for Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts to be on the big stage on Sunday. But yet, for some reason, Chris Berman's mind went towards slavery. Even though we don't know whether Hurts or Mahomes are even descendants of slaves. Not all Black people are. Newsflash. So, look, again, Berman is 67 years old. He's largely in an emeritus role with ESPN. So hand-wringing over this tasteless remark, though tasteless might be too strong, just out-of-place remark, tone-deaf remark is probably the best phrase. You know, hand-wringing over that is futile. But again, Chris Berman, he's part of the old boys club. And when you're part of the old boys club, you're going to make some old boys clubs type sayings. You know, you're going to step in it. And I think Terry Bradshaw and Chris Berman both did that. And there's been a lot of talk this week about the lousy field and how the NFL, it's amazing, you know, revenue well over $20 billion annually at this point. As I said, the most ubiquitous and powerful cultural institution in the U.S. And and yet they were playing on like an ice rink during the Super Bowl with players sliding and slipping and falling everywhere. Can't the NFL do better on the grandest stage of them all? You can say a similar thing about some of the broadcast partners and some of the broadcast choices. You know, Terry Bradshaw making fat jokes about Andy Reid, Chris Berman remarking that February 12th is Abe Lincoln's birthday and tying that into two black quarterbacks facing off in the Super Bowl. Uh, You can say the same thing about those broadcast choices. This is the biggest stage of them all, the biggest event in TV by far. And I feel like in those instances, Fox and ESPN could do better. They could do better. Closing out the show here with a topic that we've discussed for years and years. When it's baseball season, that's right. 
Red Sox popularity or lack thereof. Sean McAdam, longtime beat reporter for the Boston Sports Journal now, tweeted this on Tuesday. For what was essentially the first day of Red Sox spring training with Alex Cora and Bloom speaking, there were five Boston media outlets in Fort Myers, one TV station, and four newspapers and websites. If that doesn't greatly concern the Red Sox, it should. Not long ago, that number would have been tripled. And McAdams right. Not long ago, there certainly would have been more than five outlets covering the first day of Red Sox spring training. I think two last place finishes in three years will certainly uh, hamper interest in the team. Overall, and this is an old story, baseball is just less popular now, and thus the Red Sox are less popular. It has less to do with them than the overall state of the game. But even more than that, you know, I think that it's really just the market and the market shifts maybe more than anything. Yes, if the Red Sox were coming off a playoff series season, a World Series season, certainly, they would have more juice, and there would be more than five media outlets at the first day of spring training. That's true. The performance on the field is still probably the biggest reason why you're seeing this depressed coverage. But big picture speaking, it's not just about the Red Sox. I mean, in general, post-COVID, and this is not a good thing, but it's the reality, networks and outlets are sending fewer people on the road, period. Uh, there's just less coverage in general outside of the NFL. You look at the Celtics. I was at a Celtics game two weeks ago when they took on the Nets. Kyrie Irving returning to the Garden. That's a huge game. Celtics are the best team, have the best record in the NBA. Two wins shy of the finals last year. And I was sitting over towards the media section. And it wasn't that full. I mean, you know, there was Himmelsbach from the Globe. Steve Hewitt from the Herald, a few other national NBA type people, you know, NBC Sports Boston had its little team there, Um, but that was it, you know, and that was an ESPN game as well. ESPN was there, but the press box, you know, the media row was not overflowing. There just are not a ton of people covering the Celtics day to day, and that's not because people aren't interested. Celtics ratings are through the roof. The Celtics have the best record in the NBA. They're huge right now, but there's just less coverage overall unless you play in the NFL. And spring training as a whole, as a concept, it just just doesn't fit into today's news cycle. I mean, you look back to the early to mid-aughts when I was first getting into baseball, right? It was a huge event. Pedro Martinez shows up to spring training after a whole winter of silence. And he complains about his contract. Or Manny shows up to spring training late. Some excuse complaining about his contract. It's the first we've seen of these stars. And boy, they have a lot to say. I mean, look at uh, 2004, right? That offseason, you had the crazy A-Rod trade rumors. Spring training starts. Manny is still on the team. Nomar is still on the team. You know, these are huge, huge stories. And unlike today, we didn't have Nomar's real-time reaction 
to the A-Rod trade rumors because there was no Twitter or social media. We didn't have Manny's reaction real time to all the A-Rod trade rumors. Uh, Kurt Schilling shows up and yeah, he posted on the Sons of Sam Horn message board, but there was no Twitter or social media for Schilling. And thankfully so, given what we know about him now, but it was our first time really being able to hear from Kurt Schilling as well, seeing Kurt Schilling and really associating him with the Red Sox. It's much different today. And yeah, it's different because the Red Sox just don't have those kinds of stars. But, you know, Raphael Devers just signed a 300 plus million dollar extension. But, you know, we've heard from Devers already. And there's been so much wall-to-wall coverage of that already. It's like, yeah, he's going to get there, get in front of the mics and say how happy he is to be here. And that's it. You know, it's 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 just, it's not the same anymore. And social media has changed a lot of that. The overall culture around baseball and the Red Sox has changed a lot of that. But yeah, I mean, obviously at this point in 2023, if you say the Red Sox are less popular now than they were, there's less Red Sox coverage now than there was. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. But the reasons for that go deeper than the Red Sox aren't paying players. The Red Sox are struggling on the field. Yes, that's a part of it, but I think just as big a part are the general market shifts and the fact that spring training in particular, I mean, six weeks of guys standing around and stretching and playing catch and playing exhibition games. It's just, in today's 24-7 news cycle, it just doesn't have the juice that it did even 15 years ago. And I don't think there's anything the Red Sox or any other team in baseball for that matter can do about that. So thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. As I mentioned, always great to have you along with us. If you want, if you have any show ideas or guest ideas, you can feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at AlexReamer1. That again is at AlexReamer1 against my better judgment. My DMs are open. So long, everybody. And we'll talk to you next on the show next Thursday.